Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pineapple Pizza podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we are serving up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. A bit weird, but it works. Today's special is Russian epic poetry. I'm your hostess, Ashley, and with me today are the lovely Emily. Hi. And Lindsay. Hey. Hey. (laughs) Hey. All right. So before we dive in, we get to go through the super fun process of listening to all of my sources for this. It's going to be magical. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Woo! All right. So first of all, I used an ebook by Anna. Sorry, it's probably Anna because she's Russian. Russian. My, my bad. Anna Zubkova. Um, it was translated into English by Dr. Vladimir Antonov and Anton Telpley, and it's just called Dubrinia. So that's pretty much it. Got it on Amazon, so just look for it if you're interested. Um, I also used an article from the Online Encyclopedia Britannica about the Bailina. I used also a Wikipedia page called Bailina, so obviously I needed some help with this (laughs) (laughs) because I don't know that much about Russia, believe it or not. I also use a really interesting, I don't know if I really want to call it an article, but like a blog entry on Bilinas um, written by Yelena P. Francis, and that was from the Columbia University Ed Blogs. So that was pretty cool. I used another article from Wikipedia on the history of the Russian Orthodox Church, because there's a lot of Christianity in this. And I was like, <laughs> why? And now I know. <laughs> why and no and what and also how and maybe a little (laughs) bit of like what's happening (laughs) yeah i guess we'll just do all of them i normally do so these won't come up until we get to the end but i also used joseph campbell's the hero with the thousand faces 
a brief article from the masterclass.com website called Writing 101, What is the Hero's Journey? Two Hero's Journey examples in film. And of course, a bunch of stuff from IMDb because, spoiler, I talk about some TV shows later and I wanted to make sure I did not fuck that up. (laughs) (laughs) And the hero's journey is a pretty common trope, so that's... uh... Oh, it's we're gonna we're gonna go there. It's gonna be nice. a good time. I'm we're gonna excited. talk all about it. I'm gonna say a bunch of big words. It's gonna be magic. I'm here for it. All right, we're gonna get started with our usual context portion of the episode. So, for starters, uh, if you're wondering why I kept looking up the word Belina, that's because that is what they call the type of story that I'm going to tell you because actually these are supposed to be sung. I don't want to disappoint you, but I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just not going to. Like, maybe it would sound beautiful if I knew Russian and could sing it and hadn't read a translation, but I can tell you, trying to sing this would be bad. (laughs) Can you imagine if people tuned in and all of a sudden it's just like this Russian opera the whole episode? (laughs) We're just like staring at each other like, what's happening? Uh, I don't that know. would have been amazing. Like it probably would have been, but there are several reasons that's not going to happen. Um, not the least of which is that I cannot sing well at all, and I definitely am not trained in opera singing. <laughs> all right, so this is a form of Russian epic poetry that is normally performed by a singer and often accompanied by a goosely which is a type of string instrument. Goosely is a string instrument? Yep. Um, I looked it up. It doesn't really look anything like anything I thought it would, so I have no idea how to actually explain it except to say it's just a Russian string instrument. You know, it's not super helpful. I was hoping maybe it would kind of remind me of a harp or a guitar or even a bass. It didn't. It didn't look like any of those things. <laughs> hmm. Um, Anyway, these typically tell stories about the deeds of bogatiers, which are warriors similar to knights errant, if you know anything about, like, Arthurian legends. Got it. So it's a lot like that. A lot like that. Including the part... (laughs) Oh, yeah, no. Including the part where they're like, I'm doing this for God, because God... There's a lot less people sleeping with the queen, too, so don't get excited. That's not going to happen. There isn't a random French knight in this story who can come in and seduce the queen. No. Damn it. I know. I was disappointed, too. (laughs) (laughs) Missed opportunity. I know. Like, honestly, how am I even supposed to tell a story that doesn't have anything raunchy in it for us to make fun of? I don't know. (laughs) Hopefully we'll find other things that are funny. So, the term Belina is etymologically related to the past tense form of the word, I assume it's just pronounced bit, but I don't know because I don't speak Russian, but that means to be. Essentially, the reason for this is because it's meant to tell of events from the past. So, the past tense form of to be. Okay. The plural, by the way, of Belina is either Belinas or Belini. So I'm probably going to use them both, apparently, because I have them both written in my notes. 
So Bailemi are basically, as a group, Bailemi form a folk history that is often at odds with historical fact, which will not surprise you because that's how myths work. And that's also <laughs> how epic poems work. Regular life, not that exciting. Usually not any really cool dragon slaying or whatever happening. So not really going to be historical so much. Or water beasts that you impregnate. After writing. (laughs) (laughs) So these were influenced by a variety of Slavic folktale genres such as ballads, charms, and magic tales. The form of the Bolina originated in either the 10th or 11th century. Unfortunately, they can't date it any more precisely than that. So we just kind of have this rough 150-ish year gap where they think it would have happened. Um, The earliest extant manuscripts where it's actually written down, because again, these were originally oral, so it's not like there'd be preserved records from the first ones. So the earliest extant manuscripts date to the 17th century. So that's still pretty old, but not as old as the actual form itself. That's a big gap between when they think some of these stories started and when they started writing them down. Well, a lot of cultures have that. You know, with oral traditions, the idea is that people just pass it on from person to person to person. And so a lot of times there's a pretty big gap. I mean, I'm not going to say it's normally six to seven centuries. That's a long mm-hmm. ass time. But there's normally some kind of sizable gap in between when an oral form of storytelling starts and when it starts being written down. And I suppose it kind of depends, too, on what area it happens in because not everybody was educated enough to write down the stories too like some in some places they had not necessarily caste systems but you know like for a long time especially with christian stuff only the monks were educated enough to write stuff and the priests were educated enough to read them so it's it could also determine be determined by who actually was educated enough to transcribe those stories. Oh, yeah, definitely. There are a lot of different factors at play in when stories start being told and when they start being written down. But the cool thing about stories is anyone can actually tell one, even if you can't write it down. So we get these awesome, I mean, I want to say art forms because I really think that it is. We get these awesome art forms that just stretch back like so far into history even though we don't have written examples from them. And it's kind of awesome when you think about it. Mm-hmm. All right, so Christianity was introduced to Russia by Greek missionaries in the 9th century, which predates the origination of the Bailina and probably explains why Christianity is all up over this thing. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, like... I was reading the the ebook that I got was like 62 or 63 pages every single page. Every single page was like God is great and things like that. And I was like, okay, listen, I respect people's religious beliefs. You can believe whatever you want. It's totally fine. I don't believe it. So if I'm reading a story where I'm like, well, this story that's supposed to be about like wars and battles and stuff has a lot of praying and God in it, I'm just going to notice that. I'm going to flag it a little bit in my brain. And I'm going to want to know why. And we found out why. Because Christianity was already there. And it already had 100 to 200 years to put its roots down. So roughly 100 years after Christianity arrives via those Greek 
missionaries, the Kivian nobility ends up with this central Christian community within it. So, like, their actual nobility at this point has, like, this Christian community thriving within it. And that also helps to explain the heavy influence of Christianity on Bimini because one of the theories is that this form originated with court minstrels. Oh, so that historians- would make a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah, it would. Oh, yeah. So if historians are right, and that is where it started, we absolutely have this concrete and totally plausible explanation for why this religion is so embedded in these songs. All right. Common motifs of this art form include the hero taking leave of his mother, a lot of bragging. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. A hero's journey. Again, shocking. Um, Exchanging verbal barbs with the enemy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Requesting mercy and battles, which if you have knights, I feel like you're just expecting the battles. They're going to happen sooner or later. Um, Christian beliefs are often mixed with pre-Christian ideas that include references to magic or sorcery. Which isn't surprising because, again, despite the fact that this had had, like, 150-ish years to put its roots down before this form started, those pagan ideas would have been there for centuries before that. So they're still going to be very ingrained into these people culturally. So it kind of makes sense that there would be some bleed through. All right, I'm not going to do any more context at this point because... It would just be more stuff about Christianity. And (laughs) if you want that, go to church. I wasn't super enthused by trying to trace that. So I gave up and I'm not sorry. So at this point, we have finished our appetizers and we're going to take a quick break. I'll be back with the main course shortly. All right, we are back, and it's time to move on to the main course. I hope you're hungry. This is a big one. (laughs) Nice. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the story. I am going to let you know up front, I'm not going to retell 60 pages. (laughs) It's not going to happen. If you were hoping that that was going to happen, I'm sorry. The good news is that since these were originally songs, like the actual individual violinist is very short like it's only a few pages but they form these collections that tell like an overall story so we're gonna do the parts of the story that i was like that's pretty cool and we're gonna Mm -hmm. leave out parts of the story where i was like this is a lot like that last part because we don't need to repeat ourselves 82 times that's fair oh but that sounds like so much fun (laughs) i feel like it's very fair although In their defense, when things are told orally, there's often repetition of key themes and ideas because it makes it easier for someone else to memorize the thing. So it's nothing specific to Russia that that happens. That's very specific to anything that originates as an oral tradition. Just Mm -hmm. want to put that out there. But let's go ahead and get started. So when Dobrynya was a young man, he packed up his things and asked his mother for permission to set out on a hero's journey. Hey, ma'am. I'm going to go save people. (laughs) I want to go on my own. (laughs) Let me fly. I'm a grown-up now. Sorry. My ball's dropped. Here we go. (laughs) 
<laughs> My balls dropped. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> it only took 10 minutes. To work. It's alright. Listen, I know it's gonna happen. I just wait for it and I'm like, alright, we're done with that. Moving on. <laughs> He desired to travel the world to find his purpose in life, but he also wanted to discover how he could protect all living things from evil. I would like to pause here to say that's kind of a big task. You might want to start with something more accomplishable, but hey, <laughs> I'm not a young Russian man, so what do I know? His mother gave him permission to go and reminded him that he must always seek the love and guidance of Mother Earth and of God the Father. And oh yeah, I'm going to be saying Mother Earth and God the Father a lot. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> As he was walking, he came upon a beautiful mare and her colt galloping freely in a meadow. Dobrynia spoke with the mare because animals talk in this story. Just so we're clear. Kind of like the woodpecker in the last one. Probably not in Morse code. Oh, I was just going to say. <laughs> so he asked the mare to let her colt go with him, promising that the colt would never be a servant, but a companion and a friend to him. The mare consented, but made Dobrynya promise that for one year he would not sit on the back of the colt. She wished her child to have more time to grow stronger before being ridden. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know a whole lot about horses, but it probably makes sense, right? I mean, if you're yeah. a young horse, you're not going to be as strong as you are as an older horse. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't do science. That's Emily. Emily does. <laughs> <laughs> I do plants and bugs and water. <laughs> very different from horses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dobrynya agreed to this deal, and he kept his word. In time, the colt became a strong, handsome horse, and the horse was able to communicate with Dobrynya without needing words. The horse, too, was a hero in his own right. I'm going to stop here and say that they repeat the thing about the horse being a hero in its own right a lot of times. I am not going to say it again. Like, I think it's swell. Um, I like it. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I like it. I love animals. It's cool that the horse is a hero. I'm just not going to keep saying it. But just so you know, the horse is a hero the whole time, not just this one time. Each place they visited, the heroes saw only unhappiness and misery. The people had all forgotten the ancient laws and how to love unselfishly. Children were rarely born, and the few babies that were born were sickly and weak. Clans waged war on one another, and people everywhere were unkind. Dobrynya began to ask people what they lived for and what they did. Their answers revealed to him that these people didn't know what they were living for, nor could they see any bigger meaning in their actions. There was a sense of purposelessness and futility in them, which fueled their unhappiness. Dobrynya cried out to Mother Earth, asking her how he could help her children. And she answered... Helping my children is a difficult task. You can only accomplish it through the greatest powers of all. Pure love and unlimited patience. <laughs> that seems right when dealing with a man. <laughs> I feel like uh, we do not have those things. 
So, okay, fair enough. Moms might. Not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Look around yourself, Dobrynya, said Mother Earth, and see the river of living light. It is the flow of divine love. You must become this light and embrace all of my children. Always remember that everything is born through love. Everything is healed by love. And everything can be changed by love. So Dobrynya merged with the light and embraced all of living creation by washing his light over the world as he flew overhead. To all who responded to the light with tender feelings and gratitude, the gift of love was given. To all who responded with malice or negativity, the sensation of being gnawed inside by worms was given. Sounds like diarrhea. But all right. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where IBS originated. <laughs> Love. <laughs> Dobrynya himself received a deep wisdom from merging with the light. Then Mother Nature bade Dobrynya to seek out Spigator. I might be pronouncing that wrong. That's the best I can do. You sure it's not Trogdor? Are <laughs> you very sure it's not in the countryside. It is definitely not. <laughs> I don't know. Spiatopor is the best I can do. I'm just going to stick with it. In the holy mountains and ask him for the sword of transformation and the shield of reflecting evil. <laughs> I made the funniest typo I've ever seen. <laughs> it is the shield of reflecting evil. So quick question before we continue. Was he actually flying like Superman, like over people? He became light somehow. So he was like particles of light. I don't. Okay. I can't really explain it any more than that because it, the story did not. So he wasn't really flying so much as he just was light. Okay. I know it's weird, but... Um, so these weapons could only be wielded by a true hero. Go figure. Dobrynya followed Mother Earth's instructions, but as soon as he received the sword and the shield from Spiatobor, he was attacked by a series of three black clouds, each stronger than the one before it. He managed to defeat the first two with the aid of his new weapons, but the third cloud was filled with a magnificent evil, which Dobrynya did not have the strength in him to repel. Knowing he could not defeat the cloud alone, Dobrynya looked to God, and the father revealed to the young hero his great power. Dobrynya merged with the power of God. What? I don't know. <laughs> he merges <laughs> with stuff a lot. I don't. Wow, if that doesn't give you a holier-than-thou complex, I don't know what will. Yeah. So he probably became very powerful as a result of that. I don't know. I don't. I really don't. This is giving me a lot of Voltron vibes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was the intent, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> So his shield became a mirror that could reflect light, which, like, if it's shiny, already could have done that. But nope, not going to pick up the story, just going to accept it. Um, and his sword shone with divine fire. The hero used the sword to strike the cloud, and finally this last black cloud dispersed. 
God blessed Dobrynya and gave him this advice. Don't forget the most dangerous enemy comes from within, not from without. That's deep, God. I will let you have this one because that is actually a good lesson and we should all learn it. Then God gifted Dobrynya with magical bread. (laughs) Was it the body of Christ? (laughs) I don't know. Um, But what I do know is the magical bread would never diminish so long as it was shared with others. I am a heathen and that is okay. You are not alone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So later in his travels, Dobrynya came upon a town that lived in fear. Every shutter was closed, every gate was locked, and every person lived in bondage despite the complete lack of any outside threat. Dobrynya sought the counsel of the animals, asking them why they loved freedom while these humans did not. The birds told him that people lived closed in their dark homes, not seeing the sky or the sun, and so they could not love freedom because they did not know it existed. The fur-bearing animals told Dobrynya that the people had forgotten how to love Mother Earth, so they could not feel the warmth of her love in return, and therefore they walked the Earth in unhappiness. Dobrynya then asked God how he could awaken the townspeople to freedom. God explained that the key to freedom is selfless love. So if Dobrynya could awaken love in the people, so too would he awaken freedom. The hero rode into the town and with him came a strong wind that blew open the closed shutters and gates, allowing light to shine into every home. When the people emerged, Dobrynya regaled them with songs and tales. Then he told them that every one of them had a seven-headed serpent living inside of them. Cool, bro. (laughs) It is a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The heads were fear, laziness, hatred, resentment, envy, wrath, and sadness. He said they each had the power to defeat this serpent, and if they vanquished it, they would be free. He spoke to them of the love of Mother Earth, and inside them the love grew, killing the serpent and setting them all free. Why does everybody hate on serpents, man? Snakes aren't. I mean, snakes serve important purposes in nature. I think it's because they don't have any legs. (laughs) 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 They're just kind of creepy, like. I don't, I don't know. I don't like snakes. I'll be honest, I don't. Or toads. My dog just really wants to eat those. It's not like a fear thing. It's just that I would love to stop throwing them over a fence thing. <laughs> I feel like that's fair. Yeah. You're just trying to save them from your dog. Yes. And from their own stupidity because they keep coming back. <laughs> One day, Debrinia came upon a village where no one came out to greet him or offer him so much as some water to drink. Apparently, this is very rude. (laughs) I'm just putting it out there. So, he found an open field that he planned to sleep in that night. Suddenly, he was approached by a young orphan. She bowed before him in torn, dirty clothes and then offered him some spring water and strawberries. The hero accepted these offerings and thanked her. He asked the girl her name and she told him it was Vasilisa. Dobrynya next wondered why no one had taken her in. 
and she explained that the villagers had accepted her as a worker, but unfortunately she found the work too physically difficult. So she was turned out. The hero gave her some of the magic bread and advised her to go where the sun shone in the morning, saying she would find nice people there. There would be a great battle in the field the next day, and it wasn't safe for her to remain. In the morning, Dobrynia saw the foreign army in the field and readied himself for battle. But as he rode toward the troops at a gallop, Dobrynia drew neither his sword nor his shield. The enemy troops rained arrows down upon him, and still he would not draw his weapons. The closer he got, the greater the fear in the hearts of the foreign troops became. Finally, they retreated, terrified of the man who could not be killed. But once the troops had fled, Dobrynia fell bleeding from the back of his horse and lay unconscious upon the ground. God spoke to him once more, asking why Dobrynia was abandoning his duty without waiting for an answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lying down on the job, Arya. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's that kind of thing. Well, it's a Russian story, so <laughs> that might explain the austerity. Was it because Dobrynia went Russian in? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Without waiting for an answer, he sent Dobrynia back to his body. The hero awakened to find Vasilisa washing his wounds with water and his heroic horse looking down at him. As she cleansed the wounds, they closed up as if they'd never existed. Magic. Ooh. Wolverine? No. <laughs> that, would, cool? that would be so cool though now I'm picturing Hugh Jackman <laughs> into it uh, the orphan asked the hero to please take her with him as she wished to serve him and keep him well and so for a time Dobrynia had a new companion concern for her safety weighed upon him and the hero resolved to find Vasilisa a new home Eventually, they came upon a house where three brothers and one sister lived. The sister, Mary Weaver, greeted the hero and bowed to him. Then she asked why he allowed such a filthy girl to accompany him. Damn, girl! Judgmental <laughs> much? Jeez, way to be a Becky, God. Did I mention the austerity? <laughs> Um, apparently she's a lot like Regina George, so what are you gonna do? I love this bracelet. Where'd you get it? That bracelet <laughs> is the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Vasilisa, in her goodness, only smiled and bowed with Dobrynia to the family. The four siblings invited them inside their home, and in exchange for their hospitality, Dobrynia offered each of them a gift, starting with Mary Weaver. To Mary, Dobrynia handed a magic mirror, saying it would reflect all the beauty of the soul of anyone who looked into it. Nice. Nice. Yup. When Mary gazed upon her reflection in the mirror, she began to cry as shame burned within her. <laughs> That's what you get. Mary. Don't be mean to orphans, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I want that on a 
Brittany asked Mary if she would accept his gift, and she said that she would. Mary then begged Vasilisa for forgiveness for her unkind words and asked the girl to stay with them, vowing to be a loving sister to her and to teach her to bake bread and do embroidery. Vasilisa accepted. To the brothers, Dobrynya gave a plow, an axe, and a musical pipe to ensure their happiness and prosperity. Before he left, Dobrynya told Vasilisa that he left her with the final task of making sure the plow, axe, and pipe were always well cared for by observing the brothers. If any of them forgot their duties, she was to make him look into the magic mirror to see his own soul, and there he would be reminded of his duty. Um, she agreed. Vasilisa, with her new family's blessing, walked Dobrynya to the outskirts of the village. On the way, she asked Dobrynya how the mirror became magical. He told her that so long as someone was ready to see their soul's reflection, any mirror is magic. Ah, uh, yeah, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. You were actually that ugly all along. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! You horse face bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have those Instagram filters to help you now. Uh. <laughs> 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 all right, stop Come. <laughs> All right, so then she asked how the plow could be magical, and he replied that when a plow meets a willing heart and kind hands, it is filled with the power to do good work. So basically, bullshit. None of it's magic. <laughs> None of it's You're magic. the magic. It's You're all the magic. It's all a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Vasilisa then said to Dobrynya that she believed the same must be true of the axe and the pipe, that their magic comes from the user. And Dobrynya smiled at her and told her that she was wise for understanding so easily the secret of magic. <laughs> Way to go, dumbass. Black finally caught up. <laughs> I was waiting for her to be like, no, the pipe's magic, you dumb bitch. <laughs> he embraced her and then left to continue his quest. So that's it. No more orphan girl. Aww. She shows up in some Baba Yaga stuff. Yeah, Vasilisa. A lot of these characters show up in a lot of other stories, apparently. And then, of course, since these were oral tradition stories, there are like a ton of different variations of the stories, too. So, mm-hmm. all right. Next part of the story. On his journey, Dobrynya came upon a stone at the place where three roads intersected. Mm-mm. He is not going to kill his father and marry his mother. Okay. Just to get that out of the way. All right. In case you were worried. Then there's a random slave running away. That's not nothing. (laughs) No incest in this. (laughs) Okay. The stone bore the following inscription. Go to the left and you will be married. Go to the right and you will be rich. Choose the middle path and you shall die. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Jeez. Hmm, tough <laughs> Which road would you pick? Which road would I pick? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I've been married, so I'd go with Rich. Okay. <laughs> Whimsy. <laughs> I don't know why I 
been there, done that. <laughs> well, I've been rich, so I'm just going to get married. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'd go for money, too. Yeah, I would pick the middle one. Why? Death. Because I read a lot of myths. So. I suppose, yeah. Well, you'll see. He thought to himself that it would not be right for a hero to marry and chose the left path to investigate. <laughs> yeah. To investigate. I just want to see what's going on, what I'm missing out on. Yep. We'll give it five minutes and then uh, head back home. Sure, I'll marry you. Oh, sorry, bye. So you're saying he would pull a Hamlet? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then be like, go become a nun. I'm done with you. <laughs> I just got Shakespearean open here. <laughs> My heroic horse and I got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do hero stuff and things. We ain't got time. <laughs> okay, so this road led to two towers. One tower held many seductively dressed damsels. <laughs> yeah, they greeted him with their rouged cheeks and immodest attire. They were dressed trampy. That's all that matters. Anyway, they offered him roasted swans. <laughs> I, don't <know> I, <laughs> I don't know why I think that's so funny, but I do. Um, to be fair, swans are assholes. So. <laughs> they are. They're mean. So I'm not a bad person. They're just rude birds. <laughs> I just think that's a really random thing for someone to just offer you. I've never heard of offering anyone a swan, so yeah. A swan. Um, anyway, they were secretly planning to get him drunk and rob him. Oh, so he looked at them in surprise as he refused their roasted swans and wine and spoke these words. Were you given such beauty that you might use it to obtain riches through such low means? Happiness can't be found in worldly wealth. I am sorry for you. Old age will be upon you soon, and not long after, you'll die without knowing love or happiness. Burn! Um, <laughs> that is somebody who has clearly never been poor. I don't know uh, how to feel about the fact that he was basically like, you're a bunch of floozies and you're going to get old and die. <laughs> <laughs> You can take your roasted swan and choke on it. <laughs> take those pretty boobies elsewhere. Listen, apparently he wasn't into it, so. <laughs> I guess. Damn. That's a horrible way of saying no thank you. So, like, not surprisingly, the, all of the women started crying because. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he's kind of a dick. <laughs> and confessed their crimes. They also told Dobrynia that the other tower was home to men who, like them, seduced passers-by and robbed them. Upon learning this, Dobrynia demanded the seductresses gather their male counterparts as well, which the women quickly did. Addressing all of them now, the hero told them they were living unjust lives and needed to atone for their errors. And they're like, thanks, bro. Thanks. Uh, no. You're right. You're right. You're right. Show me the error of my ways. Thanks. 
That's not what happens. All this sex and roast and swan is horrible. I shouldn't be doing this. He spoke to them about the importance of unselfish love, about life and death, and about attaining happiness. Then he told them to find companions amongst themselves, return everything they'd stolen to the rightful owners, and to help anyone who needed it. By doing these things, Dobrynya said they would find happiness and love. The men and women did as they were instructed. What if there was an odd number of men and women, and there's just one that's left over? They're just like, (laughs) guess I'm going to eat this roasted swan all by myself. (laughs) Oh no, it's a thruple, and it's probably fine because God would be like, okay, well, there's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't an odd number. That's all that matters. Dobrynya then returned to the stone at the intersection and used his sword to scratch out the first line of the inscription. It vanished as though it had never been. Next, he said to himself that it would not be right for a hero to be wealthy, so he took the path to the right to investigate. On this road, he found a mountain of gold and jewels, and along the way were many people doubled over as they tried to drag far more riches than their bodies could carry. The base of the mountain was littered with human remains, for living within the mountain was a great serpent with 30 heads. That, you know, overkill. I mean, apparently the serpent doesn't think so. Dude, how many pillows? How do, how do you drag that around? I love how that's your question. How do you drag all these heads around? It's not like you have two or three. You got 30, so you got to coordinate these suckers, man. I can't answer any questions about the weight distribution. (laughs) What I can tell you is that it consistently fed on the foolish humans so intent on dragging more gold than they could possibly carry, making themselves easy targets. Dobrynya gathered together all the fortune-seeking people and told them about the serpent within the mountain. He also taught them the meaninglessness of earthly wealth and that only wealth used for good purposes can continue to increase. I have a lot of counterpoints to this. (laughs) (laughs) I am not going to raise them because that's not what we do here, but I want my (laughs) objection on the record. (laughs) Inspired by his words, the people went about giving treasure to others they encountered and spreading love and happiness. When the serpent realized what was happening, he emerged from the mountain to confront Dobrynya, rushing at him while spinning fire from its many heads. So that's terrifying. That's a lot of, that's a lot of fire. Uh, Dobrynya battled the serpent with the aid of his sword and shield, slashing away at the serpent's scaly armor. Their fight lasted three days. Wow. Which I have a lot of follow-up questions about, but we're just going to go with it. By the third day, Dobrynya had successfully removed all of the serpent's armor, leaving him naked. <laughs> that was the phrasing. I mean, I reworded it, obviously, but naked serpent. The hero then cut the serpent to pieces, leaving 30 smaller snakes behind. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that works. Mm-hmm. Totally. 100%. <laughs> the little snakes begged for forgiveness. <laughs> so there's, this is, there's the mercy part from the tropes that we were talking about earlier. They begged for forgiveness. Um, he said to them, your punishment for killing so many people is to live in the bodies of snakes, shedding your skin every year until all of the poison and anger is gone from you. 
After that, you will become frogs and lizards and find a way to live out your lives without malice. All right. Sure. <laughs> Interesting I'm punishment. Being a lot of skepticism. Dobrynia <laughs> <laughs> then returned to the stone and scratched out the second line of the inscription, which also disappeared as though it never existed. He then took the middle path where he came upon a capital town. He was greeted by a prince who treated the hero to a lavish feast, a crown, and great praise. Surrounded by glory and fame, Dobrynia continued searching for danger but could not see it. He called out to God for guidance, and God said to him, The greatest enemy lives within. If you had lost yourself in these praises, rewards, and a life of contentment, you would have forgotten your heroic mission and abandoned all of the people who need your help. Dobrynia the hero would have ceased to be. You have withstood this challenge and have now become a truly selfless, loving hero. Dobrynia thanked the prince and his staff for their hospitality and honor and bid them farewell. He returned once more to the stone and scratched out the final line of the inscription, and it disappeared as though it had never been. Shocking, I know, right? <laughs> what? What? That wasn't enough, though, so using his sword, he cut the stone in half, and from it flowed a pure, healing water that formed into a lake. From that moment forward, this lake had the power to quench thirst, cure ailments, and fill people with joy. A lake had the power to quench thirst? What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't say. Our hero rode on, teaching all he met the heroic commandments. Create good on earth by living for others instead of for oneself, acting not as you wish, but as God wills. Two, raise heroic power and fight enemies without aggression or anger, but with love and calm. Three, obtain wisdom so you can distinguish between good and evil. Just go out there and obtain that wisdom. Just go get it at mm -hmm. the store. <laughs> Buy the extra large size. Totally. Never know. You don't want to run out. No, absolutely not. Super size that. All right. So now we're going to skip forward a whole bunch because otherwise we'd be here until I die. And this is not how I want to go out. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to skip forward to the last adventure that is worth talking about in the story. There's like one more chunk after this, but we're going to not do that either. So this is the last part, I promise. This part is called How Dobrynia Vanquished Cochet and Transformed the Iron Kingdom of Death. As Dobrynia was writing one day, thinking about the beauty of the human soul. <laughs> <laughs> it's so pretty. Oh my God, you guys. Do you even know? Horse, do you even know how beautiful the human soul is? Me. <laughs> He found himself approached by a beautiful maiden named Nastenka. She bowed to him and told him that her land was troubled. Her people were ruled by the immortal Koshay, and his iron kingdom of death was always expanding farther. Okay, so she said, Human life has no meaning there. People are forced to do backbreaking labor, which only serves to increase the strength of the kingdom that oppresses them. Which, quick pause. That's capitalism. That's how capitalism. 100%. Yep. Spoiler so, alert. I have a lot of follow-up questions about this happening in Russia like hundreds of years ago. <laughs> 
The people are miserable, but they do not realize any other life is possible. Cochet feeds on anger and he can't be defeated. She asked Dobrynya to let her serve him so that together they might do what they could for the people. Dobrynya told Nastanka that overthrowing a ruler is not work for a woman. Cool, alright. Thanks, bro. Cool. Also, she's got a pretty sad name. Nastanka. <laughs> I mean, I, that has to be how you pronounce it, though, because it's spelled N-A-S-T-E-N-K-A. Like, how else would you possibly say that? I think it has to be like that. Yeah. Anyway. I wrote GAG in all caps after that. <laughs> because fuck off, I don't care how much of a hero you supposedly are, we can do whatever the fuck we want. Yep. Oh, so get out. Anyway, back to the story. He told her to give him the location of the kingdom and he would overcome Koshay without her. Nistanka told him he shouldn't refuse her help, that she could help him wake up the people Koshay would first send to attack Dobrynya, as they were good people who deserved help, not harm. She sang one of her magical songs to him, and he marveled at her and her unfathomable power. Then he bowed before Nastenka and said, I never thought a girl could perform heroic acts, but now I see my mistake. Come with me and we will free the people together and defeat Koshay. Nastenka called her horse and rode it to Brynja's side without a saddle because she's a badass and you can get out, dude. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of here with that shit. Whatever, we don't need you and your fucking misogyny. As Nastenka had predicted, Koshay sent people to attack them and to drive them from the kingdom. Nastanka gave them some magic bread and sang one of the songs to them, which woke these people from their misery. They ceased their attacks on the heroes. The heroes rode on, creating rivers and planting trees to restore the land around them to life. Birds and animals began to return to the kingdom. Koshay grew worried and raised a massive army of servants dressed in armor from head to foot. The army was sent out to destroy the forest and kill the heroes, but when they met Dobrynya, he used his shield to reflect his sunbeam at them. The heat of the sun caused the servants to become unbearably hot in their full suits of armor, and it only grew in intensity. Eventually, it felt as though they were being cooked alive inside it, so the servants shed the armor to preserve their lives. Once they removed the armor and breathed in the fresh air filled with the fragrance of the beautiful forest around them, the servants found that they no longer wanted to fight. Nastanka spoke to them, saying they were bringing peace, not war. They wished to teach the servants about love, happiness, and freedom, and she told them they must free their own land from Koshay since they had allowed their lands to be ruined by him. She washed them with the magical water and gave them bread. Dobrynya then rode forward alone to face Koshay. Realizing there was no one left to fight in his place, Koshay prepared for battle and rode out to face the hero. Dobrynya tried using his shield to reflect Koshay's evil back at him, but this only made the villain stronger. They fought for a long time and Dobrynya grew tired. Still, he did not give up. He looked to God and realized what he must do. And so, Dobrynya flooded Koshay with the light of the father, which caused the evil man to melt away to nothing. So maybe he's related to the Wicked Witch of the West? Or to like that goop stuff that they used in uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the dip. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 
The people thanked Dobrynya and Nastenka, and they all understood that the way to restore the land was to transform themselves and fill their souls with love and goodness. They began to live in a new, different way on their land. As Dobrynya rode away, he thought to himself that the greatest battle is the battle of the soul against its own flaws. If you eradicate your flaws, then you become invulnerable. God the Father and love make you invincible. Except if you get shot by arrows or something. Yeah, you know. Like in that one fight where he just kept going at the people. <laughs> and then it was like, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> and then God was like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> um, the collection of Bailinas ends with a short Bailina about how you too can become a hero, advising the reader to obtain love, wisdom, and power to help promote good and prevent the spread of evil through love and patience. So yeah, that's that story. now that we've devoured our main course and savored its rich and layered flavors it's time for a quick break to cleanse our palates before dessert all right we are back and it's time to move into the final portion of our mythological episodes and talk about where else we see this so looking for connections throughout history or to other regions in the world at the same time or just to today because sometimes I do whatever I want. (laughs) (laughs) So what we're going to do is talk about this from the perspective of the hero's journey, because I feel like that's really the easiest way to go at this that doesn't involve talking about Arthurian legends until I get blue in the face and die. So (laughs) we're just going to do it. So the hero's journey literally is everywhere. And I mean that. It's fucking everywhere. Mm -hmm. So we could spend a thousand years on this. Um, The concept is outlined in great detail in Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which is why it's called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. He argues that all mythological stories follow the same basic structure, which he refers to as the monomyth, but we more commonly call it the hero's journey. Uh, Campbell ultimately identifies and describes 17 different components of the hero's journey, but for the sake of time and my sanity, we're going to focus on the three basic groupings that the 17 components fall into. So number one is departure. The hero is living his typical life in a normal world until he receives some kind of call to action. Some heroes are reluctant to accept the call while others are like, hell yeah. And mm-hmm. number two, initiation. The hero's adventure has begun and he has either literally or symbolically, depends on the story, entered a new world, often with supernatural elements. During this phase of the journey, he must adjust to his new reality. And often there is a number of tasks that they have to complete during this part of the story until the narrative reaches its climax, which is usually some kind of battle. The battle will require the hero to utilize the many skills he's mastered during like the task section of the story. And this allows him to overcome the major obstacle and emerge victorious. Sometimes the hero gets a reward for his efforts. Part three, the return. Now that his mission is complete, the hero feels ready to return home to the ordinary world. Upon reaching home, there is usually some kind of personal transformation that occurs when he realizes how much he has changed from the start of the adventure to the end of it. So that's, in a nutshell, the structure of the hero's journey. 
Like I mentioned, there are a ton of connections between this story and various Arthurian legends about the Knights of the Round Table, but I wanted to do something more fun because I just made you sit through like an hour of me telling you <laughs> that all of your problems can be solved with love, and it's not true. <laughs> and patience. That's a, and patience. That's a super cute idea. I wish it went that way. Um, so, I've got two examples. I think these are kind of fun. So, hopefully, even though you sat through all that, this will make it worth it. So, my first modern example is the TV musical series Gallivant, a series that ran for two seasons from 2015 to 2016 on ABC. It tells the story of its eponymous hero, Gallivant, a bold knight renowned for his fighting skills and courage. One day, his beautiful girlfriend, Madalena, is kidnapped by the evil King Richard. Quick pause. When there's an evil king, his name 95% of the time will be Richard. The reason is they want you to know he's a dick. I was just thinking <laughs> that. <laughs> it's, just, it's just true facts. You should be aware of it. <laughs> yep. Anyway, back in. So Richard plans to make Madalena his wife. Gallivant, of course, rides to her rescue and crashes the wedding, taking down numerous knights along the way to arrive just in time for Madalena to tell him, actually, she's decided she wants to marry the king and have an easy fucking life. Dejected, Gallivant hangs up his sword and drinks his way into a bit of a beer gut until Princess Isabella knocks at his door, presumably some months later. I don't really tell you how much time passes on this show, like, ever, so that's a guess. Isabella begs Gallivant to defend her kingdom from the invaders who have taken it over by force. Initially reluctant, he eventually agrees to come out of retirement, but only after he finds out the invading rulers are none other than King Richard and Queen Madalena. So that would be the departure phase. <laughs> which they totally trick you, and it's hilarious and amazing, because you think the departure phase is when she gets kidnapped, but it's not. I do not want to be with him anymore. <laughs> this self-aware knight's tale openly acknowledges its monomythic structure from early on, but my favorite freaking example of this is that there's actually a song called Hero's Journey in the show. <laughs> if you haven't heard it, it includes lyrics such as, I'm off on a hero's journey, out where adventure lies, on a quest the poets will sing about. <laughs> so yeah uh, and then my personal favorite part is the lyrics you're off on a hero's journey a champion through and through more or less doing what all the heroes do because yes, <laughs> he freaking is <laughs> um, so while Galavan is not taking his first turn at heroism sorry he does still experience an initiation phase because he's been super out of shape from all the binge drinking and not fighting <laughs> anybody while he was, you know, nursing his wounded pride. So there's a fun training montage where he has to practice his fighting skills against Princess Isabella, who turns out to be pretty good with the sword. And he's all shocked by it. And it's hilarious and amazing. So spanning the course of its two seasons, there are a lot of twists and turns in the narrative, but we'd get to see Gallivant going through like a bunch of tasks on the way to building this army. And eventually there's a huge freaking battle because of course there is. That's how these stories work. 
I don't want to do spoilers, so I'm going to try to keep it kind of tapered here, but I still want to give you an idea of what the return looks like. So we're going to do it. Sorry for the lack of detail, but if you want more, you're going to have to go watch the show because Emily's watching it and I don't think she finished it yet and I don't want to ruin it. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the return phase of the show is really rich because all of the good characters end up getting to have a return. Like they all get to have a personal transformation and a lot of stories don't do this. Like it's literally just the main person maybe the main two people. It's never like an entire group like this. So I really like that. It ends with a wedding because any comedy like dating back to Shakespeare and beyond has to end with a wedding. I'm not going to tell you who gets married though because that's a spoiler, but there's a wedding. I would like to say that I think all the protagonists are really well-rounded, so that's the reason why the growth and development works so well here. Our titular knight does grow and change throughout the course of the show, mostly in the form of pulling his own head out of his ass because he's a super arrogant kind of jerk at the beginning of the story. There are a lot of fun musical numbers about it. (laughs) (laughs) But so do Isabella and Sid, who is Galavant's trusty squire. And he gets to sing one of the fun musical numbers that tells Galavant that he's kind of a douche. So that's fun. Um, But perhaps most shockingly of all, our initial villain is humanized and he too gets to become a full hero by the end of the series, evolving from a pampered whiner doling out orders onto nameless servants to a good man who's actually capable of inspiring people to follow him instead of just telling them what to do. So that's hopefully fairly non-spoilerific. But I think it's a really good example of how you can still do a monomythic tale, but find new ways to play with it. And then breaking the fourth wall in this show is all kinds oh, yeah. of and fun at what they're doing, and they know it. All right, so my second modern example is one I don't think you'll see coming. It still has kings, knights, and queens, but not quite in the way you'd expect. The Queen's Gambit. I knew it. (laughs) Is somewhat multi genre, so it's like made up of a lot of different genres. Um, But I'd say, first and foremost, it's a Bildungsroman, which means a coming of age story. The first episode opening is the departure phase of the story, plain and simple. Mm -hmm. And they set this up to go along with chess which also consists of three parts, an opening, a middle game, and an end game. So opening is going to be our departure phase. Here, our protagonist, Beth Harmon, loses her mother in a deadly car crash and finds herself sent to an orphanage. While there, she forms an unlikely friendship with the janitor, who teaches her how to play chess. And it quickly becomes apparent that Beth is a chess prodigy. Several years later, Beth is adopted, only to have her new family fall apart as quickly as she gets it. She once again ends up being raised by a single mother. Our initiation is literally all of the episodes between episodes one and seven. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yep. So this section of the story really begins when Beth attends her first chess tournament as a teenager. So she is already great at chess, like as the game, but she doesn't know anything about actual tournaments and how they work. So she has to ask a lot of questions of the people around her to pick up the way the world of competitive chess works. She must glean what she can about chess clocks, tournament procedures, rankings, etc. 
from literally just badgering a bunch of people with questions and watching what's going on around her to try to get the hang of it. And she does so pretty quickly because she's a smart person. Mm -hmm. But the initiation continues throughout the middle of the series as she deals with many life struggles that I don't want to spoil, and I won't. But I will say that she continues to learn and grow both as a person and as as a chess player. Mm -hmm. So while the tournament part of it really only lasts probably that second episode where she's learning like how all the different rules and all the shorthand and all of that, she has to learn a lot of lessons about like work-life balance, about struggling with eventually meeting players who are on her level and what it feels like to finally be up against a real challenge compared Mm -hmm. to just beating the pants off of everyone metaphorically (laughs) (laughs) really easily the first, you know, number of games that she's up against. So there's a lot of initiation throughout the story. But then we get the return And this is entirely encapsulated in the series finale, which is Endgame, which Mm -hmm. again coincides with the final phase of a chess game. Beth finally reaches the most difficult tournament she's ever faced in Moscow and plays against the greatest players in the world, including the current world's champion, Borgoff. While the series doesn't see her physically return home to the U.S., her return is to the type of player she was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Someone driven by admiration and fascination with the game instead of being consumed by her ambition to be the best and struggling with her inner demons. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm going to have a heavy handedly point out that I brought us back to Russia by the end of this fucking story. <laughs> and I'm this entire episode a monomyth. You're welcome. Pretty smooth. And that's it. That's all that I have. That's awesome. I had to. I have been obsessively watching that show for weeks now. <laughs> I had to. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Mm-hmm. And tell that you have a writer's brain. You have mm-hmm. the ability to pull all these pieces together. Mm-hmm. All right. Do we have anything else we want to do before I do the closing? <laughs> do we just want to do, we usually do a quick little, like, something good. Yeah. Whatever. If anybody has anything. So if we're going to talk about you know, what's new. I can tell you about what I learned yesterday. Okay. So because I'm poor, my kids, when they do chores, they don't earn any money. Instead, they earn points. We have Mm -hmm. a point system that they can save up for like pancake dinner or an hour of TV time because we don't let them have too much TV. And one of the big things is they can save 100 points for a no rules day, quote unquote. There's still a few rules, but it's basically they get to run amok and do whatever they want for a day. Mm-hmm. Well, they finally saved up enough points and they did it yesterday. <laughs> I regret setting it at 100 points. <laughs> I might have to change that bar and raise it a bit. I have learned a lesson, let me tell you. The first thing that my youngest one did was go up to his room and literally dump out every single container of toys, every single container of toys all over the floor. So. And because it was no rules day, he didn't have to clean it up. But he had to clean it up today. That was fun. <laughs> Next day. Woo-hoo. Actions have consequences. What? Yeah. <laughs> that made for two days of fun. It sounds like it. Yes. Yeah. I would not recommend. Don't do the no rules day. Got it. 
<laughs> set the bar higher or something. I mean, they, they worked really hard to get there, so that was plus, but... 100,000 points. <laughs> <laughs> What's new with you, Lindsay? At the time of this recording, my youngest gets to go back to in-school learning this week, which is great. And my oldest gets to go back to a hybrid model of in-school and at-home distance learning the week after. So... That means that for two days a week, I will not have to have children in my house, which will be awesome. Do you feel like sanity is finally starting to return? It feels like it's within reach. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I was like, <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to two days a week. I'm going to be so productive. I won't even like know what to do with myself. That's great. Getting that the kids fun. out. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, because I've been a full-on teacher since, like, the second week of November. I'm I'm happy to relinquish that title back to actual <laughs> teachers, to actual educators. Gives you a new appreciation for teachers, though, right? Yeah, I want to buy them all the fruit baskets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only good thing I have is that I was, like, sure this episode was going to be a snooze fest up until, like, two or three days ago. And then I was like, oh, my God and it's like the first time in my life the thought of chess has ever been exciting (laughs) well and it's perfectly poignant too because that's such a big deal in russia so yeah absolutely it is all right i guess i might as well close it thank you for coming to visit our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a hearty slice of russian epic poetry pineapple pizza podcast we're sweet and cheesy not everyone understands our awesomeness but we're glad that you do question mark if you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, check out our Tee Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice, because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. Benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster, the $7 Cryptid Hunter, and the $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PineAppPizzaPod. That's PineAppAppPizzaPod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at pineapppizzapod at gmail.com. Don't forget, A-P-P. That's important. Thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels. And just remember, no matter how you slice it, you're awesome. And we love you. 